Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James. And on today's show, we're looking back at the Boxing Day draw against Luton Town at Kenilworth Road with half an eye two on Sunday's match against Stoke. And down the line today, to help me look back at yesterday's tricky tie against the Hatters, I've got Ben Jarman. Hi, everyone. And Farrell Monk. Happy Christmas, everybody. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you both. Uh, it's the Friday after Christmas. No one knows what day it is. People are... Uh, drunk on turkey and other merriments of the season. Did you both have a good Christmas? Yeah, it was a great Christmas. Um, I've just moved into a new flat and um, my mum has bought me an array of plants. It's basically like I'm living in a jungle at the moment. So, yeah, I've got to try and keep all of them and keep them nice and fresh. Very good. And Farrell? Yeah, it was really good. Thanks. Really good. Had all the family around at my parents. Um, I come from a big family, so it wasn't exactly a relaxing one. Um, I'm the quiet one in the family, so that tells you everything you need to know. Very, very nice. Got a question here from Christian Leedberg, who said, What Fulham-themed gifts did you receive for Christmas? Ben, did you receive any Fulham-themed gifts? Um, for the first time in about 15 years, I didn't receive one Fulham-themed gift. Well, see, I'm in the same camp as you, Ben. That is uh, a shocker. Not even a Fulham calendar, which I uh, has kind of become a staple uh, of Christmas for me. Um Farrell, did you get any Fulham-themed gifts? Absolutely no, no Fulham-themed gifts. Oh. Um, I saw that one the, of the Fulhamish clan, um, I can't remember who it was now, received a book of old newspaper cuttings. Uh, like, well done. It's it's like a professional yeah. jobby for uh, mentioning Fulham from down the years, which I did receive like five to ten years ago. And if you're ever stuck for a Fulham gift, it, it is wonderful. I've no idea where you purchased it. Did your, did your dad have one, did you say, Farrell? Yeah, my dad's got one. Um, it's it's really, really wonderful um, thing. I don't know. He got it a number of years ago, so I don't know whether it's been updated since to include stuff like, you know, the, the playoff final and and other memorable days like yesterday. OK, well, before we look into the game, lads, uh, Farrell, you, you had a bit of a brush through some of the three word reviews that came in after the full time whistle. Uh, what were your favourite ones? So, yeah, I've, I've managed to pick out Fuller Matto's Bobby's Boxing Brace. Very nice. Uh, Andrew Sherman's Mad Hatter Defending, which I was quite quite happy with. Tim Scott's Carry On Defending, and I'm sure we'll come on to it, uh, FFC Matt with Almost Hector Time. Yeah, well, I think there's going to be lots of Hector debate coming up. Right, let's have a look at Luton then. Absolute chaos of a game uh, at Kenilworth Road. Um, an unchanged lineup. Um, ben, um, you were saying you've been to Luton numerous times in the Luton end. What was your experience uh, in the away end? I-, I was sad I couldn't be there yesterday just to see this this famous entrance. It looks like you're going into um, someone's front living room. It's it's bonkers. It is, yeah. You, you go in uh, down the old oak road, it's called, and then you go in between two houses um, in the tiniest gate. Um, it can hold probably about 20 people at a time before it gets severely overcrowded, and then you're essentially plonked into an alleyway between those two houses, and you walk up the rickety old stairs at the back of the ground, and if you look to your left and to your right, you can see an old Victorian, or I think it's Georgian Terrace, um, both ways and you can see it's everyone's garden and and like their bathrooms etc it's a little bit surreal because you never 
get that type of experience at any other ground and then you're ushered into uh the old terrace that there used to be they've now put chairs in with legroom that doesn't suit anyone else on the podcast other than farrell because you you get about twin like you get very minimal legroom in that in that section um and then yeah it's just uh it's very different to the home end but the atmosphere yesterday from the Fulham fans was excellent throughout i thought and uh it has been the last three or four years since I've been going to away games. Although Abdul will tell you, he never sees me there. Um, Farrell, mm-hmm. let, if you were if you were caught up in maybe some congestion at the uh, at the front door of someone's house and you were a little bit late to the game, you might have missed um, Luton Town's opening goal. A wonderful assist from from Alfie Mawson uh, for that one there. Yeah, unfortunately, I seemed I was looking away because I didn't expect us to give a goal away straight from a goal kick. Um, but that's basically what happened. I've managed to look back on it now, and it was it's absolutely bizarre. It's quite uncharacteristic from Fulham. We seem to be very, very comfortable about playing, playing it out straight from a goal kick, but you know you can see what Luton Town have uh, uh, how they set up. They pretty much uh, when Fulham had the ball that they were man to man marking as soon as the goal kick came, they were on their their respective players straight away to try and do that high press, and it worked straight away for them um, and to be honest, if if I was Mawson in that situation, he did get pressure from behind. Uh, he should have just gone down. I think if he went down properly, he probably would have got a free kick there. But, you know, he's honest player, Alfie Mawson, stayed on his feet and but was punished for it. And, you know, to be honest, uh, straight after that, it was, um, you could kind of understand why Rodak probably did more and more long kicks from the goal after that. But, you know, I... I I would have been tempted to sort of go like, no, this is the way we should play football and this is the way it's been working for us um, most of the time, not every time. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it's it's not great look uh, for the Fulham defence. It's not a great look for Scott Parker who, who persists with it. But, you know, I like going back to it, I probably think that Mawson should have been a bit smarter there. Um, I probably think he could have, put a bit more on it he should have been aware that you know the player bearing down on him is quite quick and um and unfortunately for him it resulted into another defensive mistake and a goal the thing is ben about playing from the back it's been talked a lot not just in fulham circles in football circles generally i think a lot of it is centered around arsenal because they've been really really bad at playing from the back this season and they've given away numerous goals um from trying to play this system which has obviously been coined by Bielsa, Guardiola and and that model of, of football that has come through all the way back from Barcelona in the early part of, of the decade. I don't think that Fulham necessarily should radically rethink their strategy of playing out from the back. It does tend to work and, and part of me thinks this is a risk of just playing that style of football and it, it's, it more often than not works. I mean, you're someone that understands... Um, the tactics of playing that system far more than I do. Yeah. Well, I think in, I'll answer your question in a second, but I think that Farrell was maybe a little bit easy on Mawson and Fulham in, in his first uh, opening gambit because you could tell that as soon as Re- Ream does exactly the same as Mawson does uh, roughly about 45 seconds earlier and gets away with it just. And it was obvious from then on that every time Fulham were going to play out from the back that Luton were going to go man for man. Now, in terms of playing out from the back, it's just a part of modern football and it has been for, as you say, the last decade. But 
it's one of them fads where pundits or fans they they won't like it if it goes wrong and if it goes right then you get all the plaudits and we saw the best and the worst mitt from Fulham yesterday obviously you had Mawson's mistake which leads to a goal and then you had passages in play where Fulham got through the lines of Luton in two or three passes and were on the counter-attack but yesterday um, Fulham just they were outmarked and outmuscled by Luton basically all over the pitch and especially in centre mid and Unfortunately for Alfie Mawson, as soon as he received that ball from Rodak, uh, roughly about five yards off the, off the line, he has no options in midfield. And, and they were man-marked and hassled all over the place. Tom Kearney couldn't get rid of Tunnicliffe and Harrison Reed couldn't get rid of uh, uh, Luke Berry. And then you had Telly Roddick who was marking uh, Josh Onoma. And um, the, the theory behind playing out from the back is that you draw people out to create space in behind them and get on the counter quickly. But... That only happens if you have a midfield that moves. And yesterday we didn't have a midfield that moved. And um, I'm currently doing the five thoughts in place of Cam Ramsey. And my first section is called morgue-like movement because Fulham yesterday just had no movement whatsoever in the middle of the park. And if you want to get past the team that is trying to mark you at at those short short goal kicks where you try and play out from the back, you need movement. Um, And essentially what it should have done is made a couple of our players free because Luton were marking our centre-halves on the edge of the box, but it just didn't happen that way. We have seen it happen, obviously, in a positive fashion against Millwall and countless other teams, but we need to figure out when it doesn't work straight away, how can we mix up the game? And that's obviously down to Parker being quite stubborn in his tactics. Yeah, and the thing is that Parker wasn't stubborn against Leeds and I thought, oh, okay, maybe, just maybe we've seen the light here. Maybe we've seen a semblance of a plan and it's what we wanted against Leeds. It's what we got against Leeds. It seemed like we reverted to type um, as soon as we faced a side that we maybe felt a little bit more uh, confident against. Uh, let's come on to the goal. Lovely ball from, from Ivan Cavallero. Remarkably free header for, for Bobby Decadova reed Still had to finish it, though. It seemed to me that Luton was so worried about Mitro Farrell that they, they just thought, oh, let's not worry about Bobby Reid. Well, yeah, exactly. And I think it's an excellent goal all round. Mitrovic does excellently well to bring the ball down off his chest and then play it, you know, play a nice ball up to Cavalera, who does brilliantly, who sort of like buys his time to wait uh, to sort of get, make some space for the cross and make sure that there are some players in the box. And probably for the first time in about 10 years that I've been watching Fulham, when a cross comes in, we've got more than one player in the box waiting to to head it in and to be honest it's actually excellent play excellent movement from Mitrovic to sort of take away Pearson and Bolton and you know because uh, they were concentrating on him while Onomar of all players was actually took Sonny Brad- Bradley out of the picture and there was Reed just on hand just to, to head it home I thought it was excellent move all, all round um, it's nice to see us putting nice decent crosses into the box and I'm really pleased for also Cavalero who, who's been coming into a little bit of stick recently and I thought he actually was pretty good yesterday yeah. and it was, I'm glad, to, glad for him to put an excellent ball in on his weaker foot and it was a great goal all round uh, and then sadly we didn't build on that I remember thinking okay one all right bit of a stupid early goal but we've got us it was the perfect tonic really to, to, to get a response so quickly but unfortunately it didn't really go that way we didn't really capitalise on getting level Ben we allowed Luton to be in the game way too much and um, Alfie Mawson with another assist and uh, and James Collins uh, with the goal <laughs> for, uh, for for them potential hand up handball in the build up though I feel like if that was the Premier League VAR would have won 
100% um, ruled that that ruled that out. Aside from that, though, failure to deal with a fairly basic set piece. It wasn't a whipped in cross from from Bex, was it? It was it was a pretty tame effort, and somehow it still ended up in the back of the Fulham's net. Oh yeah, you're spot on. It was uh, a needless foul um, in a dangerous area of the pitch, actually, when we had a lot of cover um, covering Luton's counter attack. And as you rightly said, it wasn't it wasn't the best free kick. Um, it wasn't a whipped ball with a hell of a lot of pace on it. To be perfectly honest with you, and we dealt with it really, really badly. And if, if we're going to be brutally honest with ourselves, as, as we are most times on this pod, um, we have to say that Fulham's failure to deal with all of the set pieces throughout the day was our biggest Achilles heel. And we could have been three-one down from half time had the goal uh, from James Collins not been ruled out from offside. Fulham yesterday done a really, really good job of leaving both of the centre-halves free at the back post and James Collins free in the middle of of the box at every single set piece. And if you have done your research, and you know Parker said last week he watched hours and hours of videos of Leeds, he would have known that uh, that Luton's three danger men were Sonny Bradley, Matty Pearson and James Collins, who are all big, burly, good headers of the ball. They know how to operate in the box and... Every single time, there was either a mismatch or both centiles were free. And Fulham were playing this weird mixture of man-to-man marking and zonal marking that, if anything, seemed to confuse the, cent- uh, the, the setup of the players a little bit more than it did good. So it's a, it's a big area of concern and, again, one that should be addressed, hopefully, by Fulham in the coming weeks. Well, mm. I mean, um, we'll come on to Stoke in a minute, but I saw that Sheffield Wednesday, as both goals against Stoke yesterday, both came from corners. So Sunday could be interesting. It could be 4-4 with all goals um, <laughs> scored from, from set pieces if both continue to defend um, like they did. Yeah, you mentioned the, the offside goal. I mean, looking back at it, it, it was definitely a, a correct call, but it... It was only just, you know, and, mm. and we still yeah. did not deal with that well enough. And I feel a little bit like we got out of jail, and um, well, I felt like we got out of jail a couple of times yesterday. Um, Farrell, second half, I thought the Fulham actually did come out and really, really harried Luton in that second half. And they literally couldn't get a, a, a touch of the ball. It was, it was, it was comical at, at times. They would, they would clear it, and they it would be one touch from a Luton player and it'd be to be straight back into Fulham possession. And, and I felt that actually Parker did a bit of a job to tighten things up and we really put pressure on Luton just without getting the reward. Probably Decadovi Reed came closest, had two or three good chances earlier on in the second half. Yeah, um, it was very reminiscent of the Fulham we saw two years ago going on their 23 unbeaten run where basically teams couldn't get a sniff. Um, you know, I don't think that Luton Town had probably more than 10 touches of a ball in our, in, in our half, that second half. And it was, it was really good. They'd obviously, they were, we played with a bit more urgency. We were coming towards the ball. We were winning the ball back very quickly. You know, um, I think it was kind of down to both teams. I think that um, uh, Luton had probably reverted to sitting a bit deeper and just trying to hit on the counter-attack and just doing a, you know, a, a classic you know, old Leicester system of just surrendering the ball um, surrendering the ball as quickly as you can to, so you can win it um, in the right areas to try and counter. And obviously that kind of led to, the, to their uh, third goal, but we'll come on to that in a, in a bit. But I thought Fulham did very, very well to come back into the game. They sort of played with a bit more urgency, showed their fight, showed their character, showed their fitness, showed their pace, and really sort of you know put Luton under pressure. And I thought that 
once we got our second goal, we were going to go on and, and get another one. But obviously it didn't turn out that way. The only thing I didn't like, Ben, though, was Harrison Reed for knockout. Now, I don't know if Harrison Reed picked up a knock. And if he did, then this is a bit of an unfair point. But I don't feel like from watching it where I was on the telly that he did pick up a knock. It felt like we had so much control in the midfield in that opening 15, 20 minutes. And it's, it got surrendered as soon as he was taken off. It was like taking the, the plug out of the bath and expecting the water to, to stay in. Yes, Knockhart is a good player, but it just made the game so open. And I felt like Luton really profited it, profited from that substitution. They almost scored very shortly afterwards through Tunnicliffe. Yeah, again, I think that assessment is, is bang on. You know, if you take Reed off, it's your screen. He he disappears immediately, and he was the one that was mopping up all of those loose balls. For me, I think Scott made a couple of wrong decisions in there. It was obvious from around about the 60-minute mark that we needed extra legs in midfield, and you've got someone like Stephanie Hansen on the bench who can come on and sit and harry those players because Luton was still pressing us really, really hard uh, at that time, and we could have done with more legs in there. Uh, I know he done. He he had an excellent performance against Leeds, and he wasn't that that bad against Luton this weekend. But I think that Onoma probably should have made way. Um, I think there became a time where he was offering quite little, and actually that probably should have been uh, identified by Scott, and, and that change should have been made. But the assessment about Reed is absolutely right. We lost um, that control. We what Scott was looking for, I think, was probably more of an emphasis down the wings, which is where we were trying to hurt them. And um, they've got two fairly inexperienced fullbacks, um, and we were trying to get around the back of James Bolton down this uh, the right hand side quite a lot. And he wanted Knockout on there to try and expose him a little bit more with Cyrus Christie. But yeah, I think it's completely the wrong move, and you'll see that surrendering of control in the midfield come back to bite us with Luton's uh, third, no second goal. No, third goal, sorry. Yeah, third goal. I mean, uh, got to give some praise to Cyrus Christie, by the way. What a block um, to keep it at 2-1, just after Tunnicliffe had, had hit the post. I mean, it was it was lovely for, from Cyrus and quite remarkable that actually he seems to be the most solid defender uh, in the back four uh, at the moment. It's certainly been a, a big turnaround for him. Uh, Farrell, Mitro, 18 goals this season. We'd literally be 18th if it wasn't for him. Um, lovely delivery from the right-hand side and Mitro doing what Mitro does best. There's not a lot more you can say about him, is there, really? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, a little shout-out to Knockart, who who initially won the corner because it was excellent play from him. He was he, The defender thought he was shielding it out of the play and was going to be clever, but Knockart capitalised on it and then won the corner. And it was, even though Sluger uh, decided to want to throw the ball away, it didn't stop an excellent cross-in from from Knockhart, who and Mitrovic, honestly, it's just such clever forward play. You know, he draws that defender in and then just takes a half a step back, bang, goal. It's brilliant forward play. Um, I love watching him. I love watching him play for Fulham, and I think he loves playing for us too. Hopefully, some more wins coming up soon, though. I think the thing with me about Mitro, and there's lots of inner debate amongst Fulham fans. Do we really want to go up? Yes, of course, we want the glory, and I think most Fulham fans do want to see Fulham in the Premier League but there's there's a whole debate Norwich fans having it a lot at the moment is the Premier League really that good is it that enjoyable but I think one of the biggest disappointments if Fulham didn't go up this season is the fact that he would no longer be a Fulham player and I don't think there's any doubt about that that is for me one of the main reasons I want to go up because I just love him playing for Fulham so much and I just know that it's not going to happen if if, if we don't get promoted um 3-2 
Ben, so many things to say about this goal. Ream looked nervous in control of the ball. It was a sheepish yeah. pass to Joe Bryan, who wasn't aware of his man lurking behind. I think it's a foul. I, I don't think Barry he shoves him in the back and doesn't touch the ball himself. Still, be stronger. Good finish. Rodak kind of caught in the wrong position, but understandably so. Well, what was your assessment of it from the match? Because a bit like the first goal, I was barely paying attention because I just didn't think there was any danger. And then all of a sudden it's in the back of our net. Well, you said you weren't paying attention. I don't really think that Tim Ream was either because that goal comes from an aimless kick up the park from Luton who had been under the cosh for three or four minutes of consistent pressure. And... When uh, Peli Roddick and Panzu chases down the ball, there is a moment of hesitation from him where he looks like he's given it up, but then he decides he's going to go again. And Reem, who had just been turned all day by a mixture of James Collins and Kazenga Lualoa and also uh, Callum McManaman, he looked really nervous. And in that position, if you're given the opportunity to play the ball down the line in that defensive third, you do it. You don't play inside football. And Sean Dyche uh, was talking about this last night on Match of the Day when um, Dwight McNeil plays the ball inside and he loses it in the crucial position. And that's exactly what Tim Ream has done. I know that Fulham wants to play football and they have this footballing philosophy of playing out whenever they can, but that is just lunacy. You don't play the ball inside blindly. And yeah, I think it is a foul on Joe Bryan, but it would be a soft one. And he has to he has to have a look around him before he receives the ball. If not, if not just pop it into touch if you're really un- that unsure. I think it's a, a comedy of errors right from the very start. And for a team that wants to go up automatically and has you know, hopes of going up into the Premier League, you cannot be defending like that or defending like we did all day, to be honest with you. Farrell, who do you bring in Hector for? I mean... I saw Drew tweet this morning. He said, like, I think Fulham fans are expecting Virgil van Dijk when Michael Hector comes into the side. And, well, maybe I'm not quite expecting van Dijk, but I am maybe expecting quite a lot of uh, of Hector. He's he's clearly going to come in for that Reading game. Is it Tim Ream? For me, it is. You might, you might disagree. Um, I think I've got a side with Drew on this one, to be honest. I You know, I've only seen Michael Hector a handful of times. Is he the answer? No, but he's, he is certainly a question that should be asked and will give Ream and Mawson uh, certainly more oomph to try and keep their their um, their, their uh, places in the side. You know, he played pretty much every every game for Sheffield Wednesday and Hull City the last couple of seasons. But these are, these are players, you know, these are teams that only finished 12th and 18th the last couple of seasons. You know, we are a team that, that do pass it around. We need confident players on the ball. We need players who are... Key, you know, very happy to play through the press and whatnot. You know, just looking at his his stats, you know, his passing accuracy is around the seventy percent mark. It doesn't really fill me with a lot of confidence. Defending wise, obviously very capable, but that's you know that's just not exactly the way we play. But you know, if I had to choose, I think Mawson is probably the weaker link at the moment. And you know, it's we're conceding goals quite at a, quite an alarming frequency at the moment. So, it would it be a massive risk to put him in? No. Is it a risk still? Absolutely. Um, it would be. It would be kind of strange to sort of um, mix around with the defence too much come come January first. But you never know with with the players that we have at our disposal. We are alarmingly inconsistent. But hopefully, we can put a run together, and then the Michael Hector, Mawson, Ream, Adoy question will go will be put to bed. Uh, and Ben. Is it papering over the cracks that the equaliser? I mean, it's a good late charge from us. 
Good cross from Knockart, finally. Uh, feels like it's been all season we've been waiting for Knockart to, to deliver in one like that. Kamara heads it down, and then Decadova the Reed, the man nobody in Luton wants to mark um, yesterday <laughs> with, with a tap in. I celebrated, but I was also still annoyed at the same time. It's quite weird when, when that happens. And I, and I saw a few people on Twitter saying I didn't know whether to celebrate or scowl when that third goal went in. I guess looking at the table, it actually has helped us out quite a lot considering not many other people picked up more than a point yesterday around us. But it's just so yeah. bloody... It's just frustrating, isn't it? It's frustrating. It's, I don't know. I, I just can't work out with Fulham. As I said in the last podcast, I don't know if we're good. I don't know if we're bad. I don't know where we are at the minute. And like for us to be this far up the table playing this badly, I think it's it's, it's incredibly lucky to, to put it nicely. And yeah, it was there was some elation in the away end because you know you you don't want to lose on Boxing Day and you especially don't want to lose to the side that are in the in the relegation zone. And unfortunately for us, it's that we've conceded five goals to a team that are currently sitting. I think it's twenty first in the league or twenty yeah, second in 22nd, the league. And, yeah. and you you absolutely do not want to be doing that if you've got any aspirations to go up. Um, obviously, we celebrated in the ground. The the limbs were, were bloody good. I've, I have to admit that. Um, had to pick a couple of people off of the ground, <laughs> but that was it, was it was good fun. And you know, I think on the balance of the second half, we probably did deserve to get a couple of goals and to drag ourselves back into it. But yeah, we we are massively papering up over the cracks. If we hadn't had Mitrovic um, for, for all the season, say he'd been injured, we'd be as you say 18th. And if we didn't have Bobby Reid yesterday, we'd have lost that game quite comfortably. Um, I think that if there was only a couple of good bright spots to come out of that game, one of them it definitely is Bobby Reid, and I think actually on a, on a very low key, he's been our, our signing of the season so far. Okay, well, um, I mean, Fulham are a, a fifth, and it's kind of as you were between ourselves, Leeds and West Brom, after they also picked up draws. Uh, Brentford move up to third after their pretty convincing win uh, over Swansea. Um, there's still a lot of football to be played. Two quick successive home games coming up over the next few days. So we'll look at Stoke after a quick break. Hello, I am Brad Hangeland, and when I'm not rubbing my thigh with cheese, I'm listening to the Fulhamish podcast. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Ben Jarman. Hello, hello. And Farrell Monk. Ho, ho, ho. Right, so games coming thick and fast over the festive period. The championship seems to have been saved from the relentless schedule that's in the Premier League with, I think, Wolves only having 44 hours uh, between games over Christmas. Fortunately, the championship seems to be a little bit more sensible uh, with its planning, with no games, um, well, the majority of games not being played until Sunday. Uh, Fulham face Stoke. Obviously, we had a pretty dismal uh, return up there at the Bet365 uh, back in October. And really one of those games which made you think, I don't think this is going to be that great a season, you know. Um, they picked up a brilliant 3-2 win yesterday against Sheffield Wednesday. Um, they were 2-1 down going into the 90th minute. Um, it was proper kitchen sink stuff. A goal from Tyrese Campbell in the 93rd minute and Sam Vokes in the 97th minute meant they picked up the win. Tony Pulis, if he was in the stands, would have had a tear in his eye. It was it was wonderful <laughs> Stoke lumping it into the box stuff. Before that, only one win in six under new boss Michael O'Neill. Um, Farrell, Stoke have had a weird season, haven't they? The fact that 
going into this, if I'd have looked at it back at the start of the season, I'd have thought, okay, this is going to be a real, real tough game over Christmas. I still think it will be a tough game, but we've got nearly double the amount of points uh, of Stoke. And I thought when they appointed Michael O'Neill, it was all going to suddenly get uh, an awful lot better. And, and actually, it, I think they're probably going to avoid relegation, but it, they're still they're still really struggling. Yeah, they are struggling. They've obviously got to turn the tide tied a little bit. They had such a horror start under Nathan Jones, who coincidentally was the former Luton manager, who, who pretty much got them promoted to the championship this time around. And, you know, they are actually a decent bunch of guys they've got there. You know, Jack Butland in goal, Joe Allen still there, James McLean, who seems to be still, um, who seems to be still their talisman, and Tom Mintz, who's done it at this level. Sam Klukas is there, who's, who's a very capable player. They're just you know, they've obviously hit a bit of a rut and they need some confidence. And, you know, looking at the reports and the highlights, it seems like they absolutely dominated a Sheffield Wednesday team. They had 19 shots on goal to their four or five, whatever it was. And, you know, that that's a team that have been unbeaten in the last five, basically, winning four of them. So, you know, this Stoke team are very, very capable. Um, Michael O'Neill, obviously, as you quite rightly said, that Tony Pulis might have been in the stand was very... Was, would have been very pleased with what he saw. He actually said that it was a typical Stoke performance. We had to go long and pump balls. But, you know, then, then that's not the way that Michael O'Neill obviously wants to play with Stoke because for the large majority of that game, they seemed to be on top and, and it wasn't through long ball and passing, but that's how they got the result in the end. And, you know, as we, as we know as Fulham fans, teams playing long and teams playing dirty and teams playing, you know, pragmatic football isn't the, the way that we like to, the, the team that we like to play against. So as we saw yesterday, but, you know, we, you know, hopefully this inconsistent Fulham team will actually show um, a real, real good performance. I have every, I, I've got every sort of belief that we will get a good performance on Sunday. And, uh, considering that we have been pretty good at home. You know, obviously we did lose against Bristol City that mm. time, uh, which was not a great performance. But, you know, we have been pretty good at home, to be honest. And, yeah. you know, now now we've got some consistency in our starting eleven. Hopefully um, we'll see no more injuries come Sunday. Obviously, Reed, Harrison Reed went off um, with about 20 minutes ago. Hopefully it wasn't a knock on everything. But... You know, as as we saw, the reason why I probably the, the the three lost in three that time was because of bad injuries in in very key area in centre midfield. Now we've got seemed to a fully fit squad. I think that Dennis Adoy will be back from from uh, suspension at the weekend. I don't know whether he'll get ahead of of Cyrus Christie because he has been pretty good. He's obviously got his his confidence back. Um, it will probably be a very good game, but hopefully one that uh, will. Um, will uh, result in the three points come at, uh, staying at home. Uh, yeah, I mean, Stoke lined up yesterday, Ben, with a, with a 4-3-3. You've got Joe Allen, Jordan Cousins and Sam Klukas in the middle. Uh, Tom Ince, Lee Gregory and James McLean. Uh, Jack Collins' favourite leading the line. I mean, would you make any changes uh, for this one, Ben? I, I, it's quite nice that I feel like maybe Fulham are starting to get a settled lineup. It was a settled lineup at the start of the season. Then it, it all kind of went to pot for a couple of months. And maybe now we're starting to see Parker settle on a starting 11 you know give or take one maybe two names each week well I'd like to see the reintroduction of Stephanie Hansen because I feel like our midfield looks very leggy and it's so easy to cut through at times that we need a little bit more in there and I think Stephanie Hansen probably gives us that um other than that I'd like to see uh, Bobby Reid keep his place because I think he's 
been excellent for us over the past few weeks. Genuinely looks like our only consistent threat in and around the box, other than Mitrovic, of course. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think like a, a nice settled lineup would be good. It's a bit of a travesty that we haven't got more options at centre half, but I don't see him dropping Mawson or or uh, Ream for Dennis, and I certainly don't see Maxine Lamarchand coming in anytime soon, who's sort of been forgotten about, and I don't know where he is. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, reintroducing Stephanie Hansen would, would be a, a good move for us against the Stoke midfield that are probably going to look to rough us up and get in and around Kearney for sure. Well, uh, yeah, and also you've got to, although, yeah, the championship schedule isn't quite as um, relentless as the Premier League, as I was talking about, he's still got a lot of games in a very short space of time. You've got the cup game coming up as well against Villa, which is only a, a few matter of days after after the Reading one. So he does need to, to use his squad. And I think Stefan Johansson, fresh legs against, against a Stoke side that yeah, also only... Um, played a few days ago uh, would be a good move and I, I'd agree with that. Let's do some questions, lads. Uh, quite a few came in uh, this morning. I'm going to start off with one that uh, might upset the apple cart a little bit. Andy Charman. Yesterday summed up our problems this season. This is more of a statement than a question, but it'd be interesting to get your <laughs> thoughts on it. We are weak. Weak at the back and weak mentality and weak in character. Parker making mistakes, but the lack of heart is a result of poor recruitment. When is Tony Khan going to be held responsible for the deficiencies in our squad? Um, there's this kind of age-old debate of whose fault is it? Is it Parker's? Is it, is it Khan's? So, um, uh, Farrell, I- I'll start with you. I-, I feel like the weak mentality is a bit harsh considering the way we came back yesterday. That'd be my only criticism of, of Andy's point there. Yeah, and, you know, to a certain extent, I do, you know, I haven't had my fingers in my ears, uh, uh, you know, for the past couple of, well, about a month or so, that there is a lot of criticism going the going the team's way. And, you know, to a certain extent, I do understand the frustrations considering the amount of money that we have at our disposal and it hasn't quite clicked enough. But, all in all, we are fifth in the league at the moment with a with an inexperienced manager, and it's not as bad as everyone says it is. Yes, some of the performances have been a little bit weak, but you know what do you expect with with a team such in transition? You know, going up and down leagues as we seen saw first time round. You know, back then, although he was an absolute nutcase, um, he's a very experienced manager uh, with Felix Magat, and it was an absolute disaster. You know, eight well, so is Ranieri. Well, yeah, Ranieri was an absolute disaster as well. So I think that Barker d- deserves a little bit of credit here. You know, it hasn't gone, you know, totally smooth sailing. HMS pissed the league and sort of had a stuttering uh, journey so far to the Premier League. Um, so, you know, we know how difficult it is. We know how difficult it can be for the squad. We know how difficult it can be for the manager. So, and I do think that Scott Parker deserves a little bit of credit. Um, you know, we have shown quite a lot of character. There have been a few times where we've been on the back foot and we've we've held firm. There's that discussion around whether you know we've been going to five at the back to you know ten minutes before the game, uh, ten minutes before the end of the game to uh, to hold on to a lead, and that's actually worked pretty much every single time. Um, so I do think that you know that's why the table shows it is. The table doesn't lie at the end of the day. We are fifth in the league. We're currently we are the fifth best team in the league. So. You know, I don't think it's all doom and gloom. I don't think we need wholesale changes um, come January. Maybe a couple of couple of players to to strengthen. Maybe in the centre of the park. Maybe you know, if we can get a, a much better centre back in. Maybe if we can get a much better um, right back in, perhaps. But you know, it's not 
that bad. It's not. It's not like we're getting relegated. We have seen much darker days, certainly in this in this league, um, in the past few years. So you know, the best thing we can do is sort of get some consistency in, um, and hopefully that you know we can actually put some pressure on and consolidate our place in the playoffs. Well, yeah, Tommy asked uh, how many lifeboats are on board HMS Piss the League uh, with, a, <laughs> with a nice gif of the uh, violinist from the Titanic uh, on attached to the image uh, as well. So um, I don't know how many lifeboats are on board HMS Piss the League. It looks like we've just about got enough life rafts for the moment, Tommy, but uh, yeah, it's certainly not been smooth sailing since we made up that name in August, which looks a bit foolish now. Uh, Luke Salmond, our uh, putting this one at you Ben are our defensive woes due to Parker's system or the players our defenders don't seem up to the level at the moment we've conceded a ton of goals under our last three managers so what point do supporters shift the blame from Scott Parker to Tony Khan for the neglect of what is now a long term issue I feel like it's quite a, a solid point there from, from Luke Ben we've consistently had a poor defence now for years even under okay I think that maybe the last six months after Slav we did tighten up but it still wasn't perfect and we still conceded some bloody stupid goals is it yeah is it just Parker I I, I don't is it the system I, I think the system's okay I just think you can't account for errors like that first goal yesterday or even the third well, naturally, you can't account for individual errors, but we're waiting, waiting too, way too many of them. And it's been ingrained from us since last year in the Premier League where those individual errors have come back to bite us. And I think last year we had the most individual errors of any Premier League team. And had we cut those out, we would have conceded something like 22 fewer goals. Um, it, may have had an, it wouldn't have kept us in the league, but it may have had an impact. And I think we're still trying to get over that now. We've kept much the same defence that was absolutely torn apart. Last year, on numerous occasions, but I think Luke makes a great point. There is a there is a flaw in the system, I think, and I think it's because our midfield is too easy to play against, to play against, and to play through. And we spoke about um, giving Leeds a little bit more time and um, on the ball and playing without possession, but it's so easy to beat Fulham. Um, basically, if any opposition manager listened to us in the podcast, all they need to recognise is that all you need to do is let Fulham overcommit themselves with a low block and just boot the ball high and wide and get at Rima Morrison because you can get in behind them pretty quickly. Um, but in terms of how we set up, the midfield, it, it doesn't have enough... Um, it's really easy to say it doesn't have enough legs, but I think it's probably the nicest way to say it, is that you can play through Kenny, you can play through Onoma, and you can, unfortunately, play through Reed and Arta as well. And it, We saw it yesterday. There's so many third-man runs that the midfield just simply doesn't track. And... Um, I saw one of the questions come in this morning, which was, does Tom Kearney deserve more criticism than he gets? And the answer is absolutely yes, because he's been not playing particularly well for the past six to eight weeks now. And as much as he keeps us ticking, there is certain elements to his game where he will consistently expose us. So I don't think I saw him get above slight jogging pace yesterday until about the 86th minute. Mm. And he must have put in one or two meaningful sprints then. Um, and I just feel like... Fulham are so easy to cut through that they need to shake something up. They they need to have a little bit more stability in their midfield. They need to have more legs. And they need to be, as the previous question said, a little bit stronger in terms of that engine room because in a league like a championship, it's where all the threat comes from. Yeah, and, yeah indeed. Well, know, I was we going to can... come on to that. I was going to come on to that Kearney question because I Kearney is, is such an inconsistent player. For me, one day he is the greatest player on the pitch, and I wonder how he hasn't 
etched out not just a Premier League career, an international career, because he is a marvellous, marvellous footballer. But then other times I watch him and, 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 it, and it all makes sense. It, 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 it baffles me sometimes. Uh, Farrell, what, what, what did you make of, of Kearney? Because there's quite a few people saying, actually, you know, we can give Josh Onoma stick, but if we're giving Josh Onoma stick, then, then I think Kearney has to come in for, for an element of the, of the criticism as well. To a certain extent, yes. Um, I do think that we are a much worse team when Tom Kenny isn't playing. Agreed. And, um, you know, he obviously came back into the team after a short um, illness uh, against Brentford. And you can see that he was totally not on the pace at all. Um, there were touches from him that were, you know, I could have done a better job. And that's saying a lot. And, you know, but that was one performance. And I think he does when he's not at his best, I think he does come into a bit of unnecessary criticism. You know, this is a player who's now played well over 150 times for us and has been absolutely brilliant, you know, nine, uh, well above 90% of those times. Um, I don't think it's an option to, to to drop him unless we have someone ready-made to play in that, that number 10 position that he excels so well at. Um, it's I think when the team aren't playing so well, it's it can be we can obviously target him because he is the captain as well as our one of our best players um but you can see how much he does bring to the team and uh, and um you know he do, he very rarely loses the ball his passing is excellent he's he he does bring a lot and i think the one thing he's actually started to bring to his game that parker wants is actually the more of the box to box kind of the play that he does and he's actually he does actually make a lot of tackles now which is great to see um, whether whether he should be doing that tactically or not is probably uh, up for discussion. But you know, have without anyone ready made in, in his position to play, I don't think it, there's an option at the moment to to drop him or or exclude him from the side. Um, he quite clearly loves playing for Fulham. I love watching him play, um, and I I think there are other areas of the pitch that we really need to focus on. I think that's one thing that yesterday that we didn't really touch on was we were very very poor at stopping the supply they were very very uh well they had like such an easy time getting crosses into the box whereas whenever we got um down the side yes there was a couple of times we managed to get get the ball in one resulted in the goal we tried to put crosses in they were blocked or they were they were stuck whereas Luton pretty much every time they got the ball wide they managed to get a decent ball into the box why is it so easy for them and not so easy for us Indeed. well it's pretty obvious why it's so easy for them it's because none of our wing-backs decide they want to put a foot in. If I was coming to Cyrus Christie with the ball, I could run him all the way to Australia because he wouldn't close me down. It's as mm-hmm. simple as that. Yeah. Like, I, I know he was he was good yesterday, but Joe Bryan and Cyrus Christie, they both, they, they do the weird Premier League thing where they let players come into the box before they make a challenge. Whereas Luton, on the other hand, were closing the space immediately and closing obviously the overlapping runners as well. It was a stark contrast. It really was yesterday. Um, there's a lot more questions here that aren't really questions but are very good points so I just will um, bring them up for instance um, Lawrence Peterman and and Ben you've mostly touched on this but does the main problem lie with our central midfield who doesn't provide enough protection to the defence from runners are we missing Arta and and, and what is actually wrong with him I don't actually know what the problem is with Arta Um, there seems to be very little words on that I don't know if you two have more information than I do from from somewhere but I'm a bit baffled as to what's happened with Arta no, I, don't, I yeah. have no idea what's happened to Arta. Fad, do you? 
No, not at all, not at all. I'll try and drop him a text or something, see what comes up, but I doubt <laughs> he's going to be very receptive. But you know what Fulham are like, if they're not in the squad and they're usually playing, then they're probably injured. We just don't want to, we just don't want to, don't Confirm want it. to say anything. Yeah. Uh, Alex. I, th- I think, I think um, the, the question is, is a great one or the statement is a great one because yeah, yeah he's, he's nailed it spot on. It's so easy for, for players to get out of defence and having a, one man screen of Harrison Reed in front of the the defence probably isn't going to be enough in the modern game. You probably need well, not in the modern game. Sorry, in Fulham's playing style, you, you're going to need two two screeners. And yeah, playing with one is is a little bit naive from Scott, in my opinion. Uh, a few more points here on on either side. Well, the first one here is from at Pure Power uh, Alex uh, is his actual name. Uh, we were actually quite good defensively at the start of the season. It took until the Forest game for the first time we conceded twice, and the next time after that wasn't until Stoke. So he's kind of asking what's happened to us, which I think is a very interesting point. That whilst yeah we have been bemoaning the defence, it has just seemed to have got worse um, lately. I wonder if it's teams actually just finally figuring us out, which is which is the thing. Um, Enviro Bro says, we look like Martin Yol era Fulham, good players, no direction. Why wouldn't you want to appoint a more experienced manager? On the other hand, um, you have Brian Chapman saying, I like Partica's attitude and mindset every time I hear him interviewed. He needs time, not flack from us. We need to be patient as he is learning. Maybe promotion next season would be better. Let's not run before we can walk. Cliche, I know, but Fergie took a few years. I, I, this whole in and out, it almost seems like a 50-50 split down the fan base at the moment I think on this podcast it's probably not quite 50-50 I think we all see that Parker does need a little bit of time and I've toed and thrown and I said on the last podcast how I'm now kind of on the side of he needs the season at least but yeah there does seem to be a lot of a big split down the fan base at the moment Farrell on lots of issues it, it certainly doesn't seem very homogenous at the moment in terms of what we're all thinking yeah well you know it's what we it's what you can get from such a a large and diverse fan base because you know we're a massive club and all that um so you know you're gonna have polarizing opinions on a lot of things um i you know me personally i think that i do want to be you know i want fulham to be that club that you know is is consistent that builds something that builds sort of club legends that builds managerial legends the ones that don't just um you know hit the trigger whenever things start to go start to go bad um, it doesn't look like we're really desperate. It doesn't look like we're going to, you know, go get relegated anytime soon. You know, I would like to see someone like Scott Parker, who genuinely, obviously, loves full loves Fulham Football Club. He was here. He saw out his 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 contract um, first time round. He then decided to stay on as a coach, then come back as come back again, and then become become manager. And who wouldn't want to see him succeed? So let's, you know, I, I think give him a bit more of a chance. Um, if we don't go up this season, it's not going to be a disaster. The, the, you know, we've seen how committed the Khans are with their with their investment and time and everything. So I would like to see us be more consistent. I don't want to be, you know, when Swansea were in the Premier League, or Swansea, sorry, Sunderland were in the Premier League, and even after that, just literally just going through managers and players like, you know, it was just um, Christmas dinner, basically. So let's let's give them time. Let's give them you know let's build something here and i think we do have the potential to do so 
Indeed. Well, I think that is uh, all for today. Thank you very much for all your questions. Uh, sorry we couldn't get... There was a lot of them. Maybe I think people are a bit... Uh, stuck with what to do between Christmas and New Year it feels like uh, even more questions than normal final one um, that I thought was interesting Fulhamato tweeted bag the blue never liked it it just isn't Fulham for me so I tweeted out off Fulhamish this morning saying if anyone is really bored this morning and toss up the amount of times that Fulham have won slash lost recently while wearing blue please feel free uh, Louis Waldock got in touch to say that yesterday was our first point wearing the blue kit as far as I can <laughs> as, and, and looking a bit deeper into that um last season we wore it three times and lost three times i guess that's not really too much of a shock we we lost most weeks no matter what color we were wearing mm. uh, and this <laughs> this season um we wore it at stoke and at brentford both lost and yeah yesterday against luton we just uh picked up our first point i still have bad memories ever since the atletico game I, 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 the day we played in blue that day i felt like it was a cursed color uh, i feel like it should be binned forever uh thought- well but Chelsea's colour. Well, exactly. Ben? Uh, yeah, I think like it should be binned as well. Do you remember there was a game, like I think it was like 95, 96, where Man United played in grey against Southampton. Yeah. And they lost and they never wore that kit ever again. Um, I feel like that's what we should do with blue. Exactly. Never again cursed out into the exiles. And you're a kit man as well who loves a bit of a different kit. So if you're saying bin the blue, then I feel like it's uh, an opinion we need to trust. Um, Farrell, would you mind uh, naming today's podcast, please? Oh, um, I'm going to name it bin the blue. Bin the blue. Are you actually going to name it bin the blue? (laughs) Yeah, why not? Why not? I actually quite like that one, actually, to be honest. Um, I think it's actually, you know, it's, it's every time we've worn blue, it's gone badly. It just seems to be a bit of a bad omen. And it's too, too close to Chelsea. As Jenna, as uh, I don't know if you saw that. Um, Wonderful. Uh, that gentleman, Jim, uh, on the on the uh, commentating the game, Jamie Reid says, oh, congratulations to uh, so-and-so and his wife, Chelsea, on their engagement. And he just couldn't bring himself to say congratulations to Chelsea. So, um, <laughs> but if you haven't seen it, I would I would recommend searching out on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how that Jim takes directions if he ever needs to go through that part in that neck of the woods. He just maybe just says that place or anyway. Uh, <laughs> it was quite interesting when Jim did the commentary on the on Fulham versus uh, Chelsea. Uh, youth teams a couple of years ago how he managed to go for an entire 90 minutes without saying the word Chelsea which was which was wonderful maybe we should should we adopt the same rule on this podcast or should we just absolutely should we let it Jim be his thing okay right well thank you both uh, for being on the podcast today Ben Charman enjoy the rest of your Christmas thank you very much and you Sam Uh, and Farrell Monk same to you thank you very much Sammy Uh, There will be a podcast at some point, hopefully, between the Stoke and Reading games, if not definitely one, uh, straight after the Reading games. Uh, Enjoy your turkey leftovers, and we'll see you very soon. You what?